Let's continue with a reading from Acts 9.36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church, y'all. Please have a seat. All right, today's the day, guys. You ready? Today's the day. Uh, We've been in a conversation about the Holy Spirit for some time, and have been intentionally avoiding what we're going to talk about today, because, <laughs> because the content of what we're going to talk about today, uh, as soon as you bring it up, or even the Holy Spirit, people zoom in to this content, and then the conversation immediately becomes polarizing, and whether you mean to or not, you bring up things like this, and the room immediately divides into Team Spirit and Team Bible. Um, today, we are talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts. Now, I have a couple of disclaimers for you. <laughs> the first disclaimer is um, we're, we're only going to do and stick to the things that are in this book. Amen. Okay, so if you're comforted by that, it's because, <laughs> it's because you've not read this book, okay? <laughs> okay, that's my disclaimer before my disclaimers. Um, we are not going to go one by one through the gifts of the Spirit and help you try to figure out what yours are. That's best done in community. Number two, for our purposes today, I will talk about the gifts of the Spirit in two categories that the biblical authors themselves do not have nor think necessary. I'm going to draw a line, uh, a soft line, for us to think about it in between gifts that we see in the Bible that are more natural gifts. Anyone can have those gifts, right? And then the gifts that we see as more supernatural. Now, I'm going to draw those distinctions. The biblical authors do not think those distinctions are necessary. Okay? Just disclaimer. Um, Number three, the reason we've waited so long to talk about this is because I wanted to deeply establish in your mind uh, that experiencing and surrendering to a living relationship with the Holy Spirit is fundamental if you're going to be a Christian. In other words, I wanted to get you, I wanted to paint us in a corner, okay? Okay? (laughs) And I wanted you to realize that it's not an option to be a Christian without being full of the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, I'm just, it's just not an option. That's okay. Uh, I want that to be settled first for you. I don't know if that is, but that's what I've tried to do biblically. And then I wanted to say, now let's talk about the weird bits because now you have to deal with it, you see? And I don't know if I've actually effectively done that or not, but... I just wanted you to realize that biblically it's not an option and we have to deal with these things because it's in the Bible. So I'm going to read the three main passages in the New Testament where these these things, these gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, are introduced. There's three main passages in the New Testament that we pull these from. 
And lastly, I want to say, uh, no matter where you land on these things, because, dude, look, I mean, look, we got a fair amount of people in this room, fair amount of uh, opinions, diverse set of expectations and thoughts about what the gifts of the Spirit are and should we do them. I'm just going to tell you, however you land on these things, the Bible is going to tell you to earnestly desire them. All right? Pursue, love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Oh, especially that you may prophesy. <laughs> okay. We're also told in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. So whatever these things are that we're about to talk about, we know that since the beginning, Christians needed to be encouraged to pursue them and not despise them. Tracking? Let's get to work. Don't be scared. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read them all together. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. He repeats himself three times. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We could just spend all day on that phrase. Because that's the crux, okay? For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same... What is he? Over... Same Spirit. Same Spirit. Trying to get some across to us. Another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretations of tongues, all these empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, their teachers, miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Romans 12, here's the other list. For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Third, Ephesians 4.11. And he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for what? The building up of the body of Christ. Y'all ready? I hope your brains are on. Let's make some simple observations. Number one, there's a lot of them. Put up that list. Number two, they overlap. They don't see, he does not seem to be working with a concrete set of gifts that he has on repeat and lockdown every time, does he? No. In fact, he says something different to the Corinthians than he says to the, to the Romans, Right? There's, there, some of them overlap, some of them are different. In fact, it, the first thing, the, one of the first things he says in the Corinthians says, hey, listen, there's wide variety of gifts. Okay, so my point is, th- we like to go about this and make this very categorized set of, well, these are the things, and if you don't have them, then I guess you don't have Well, that, I don't think that's the case. If that were the case, it seems like he would just use the same list every time, but he doesn't. 
He uses a wide variety of lists. And secondly, talk about a wide variety of application of those gifts. In fact, in Ephesians, the gifts are actually people. Did you see that? In the, in a, they're, they're people. He gave apostles, prophets, teachers. Okay, so we like to really get this neat thing, and I don't think we get that in Scripture. There's a wide variety of gifts and a wide variety of how those gifts can be applied. Now, the first thing I want to point out about this list, if you just look at those lists, most of you in this room are fine with about half of them. <laughs> Right, right, like leadership. Who doesn't like leadership? Well, actually, a lot of people don't like leadership, but uh, <laughs> like you, you want to lead, right? Uh, you like acts of mercy. No, I mean, come on. Everyone likes contribution. Who's going to hate on that, right? Contribution, right? Teaching. Everyone's cool. In fact, the Romans list, most of, we're cool with most of the Romans, most of it, right? But the Corinthian list, I don't know, like gifts of healing. It's 2022, bro. Come on. Like sciences, we know, right? Not too sure. Okay. Why is that? Look right here. Why is that? I've been pressing on this for a while. Why, why are you comfortable with half that list? And the other bit of it, you're saying, well, I don't know. Like, what's your aversion to this list, team? Let's chat. And here's the question. If, you have, if you're uncomfortable with half those gifts up there, what do you do when you come across something in the Bible that you cannot understand or explain, what do you do with it? What's your options, guys? If you ignore the ones that you don't understand or can't explain, what does that do to your faith? Is your faith then an unbiblical faith? If you've just picked the ones you like and, and the ones that make sense to you and the ones you can understand, listen, if you're going to throw out half that list, oh, it's gone. All right, it's fine. Whatever, it's fine. We're going. It's cool. No worries. All right. If you're going to throw out half that list, can I just, I'm just going to slide this across the table to you. You have put yourself in a position of authority over God's word. You are not letting the Bible tell you how God wants his people and church to function in the world. You've become God. So you got you to deal with this, guys. Why are we dealing with this? Because it's in the book. <laughs> We're not going to deal with anything that's not in the book. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of stuff in this book that confounds me. Like, and if that's not your experience, I, don't, I mean, dude, that's just, a lot of this, I would rather it not be in there. Let's just be honest. Some of it's confusing. Some of it, most, so much, it does not fit in with our cultural modern sentiment of, of how we understand the universe and how we think life should work. So we have to make a decision before we go any further what we're going to let be the authority and how we function as the church, right? God, so God makes all creation, right? Makes you and me, births the church, preserves all of life, right? And says, hey, this is how I want you to be as my church in the world. But here, when it comes to the manifestation of the spirit, whatever that means, we tend to say, well, I'm okay with this, I'm okay with that, but this, that, and that, I don't get, so no thanks, right? Well, dude, your faith has become captive to your modern reasoning. It really has, hasn't it? What happens when God becomes captive to your modern understanding of the cosmos, what happens when we allow our ability to understand and explain to control and determine our faith? What happens? What do you do with all the things in the Bible you can't understand or explain then? Well, for instance, the resurrection of Jesus. Can you understand or explain how that happened? Okay, that's a pretty big deal in Christianity. Like the writers, the New Testament writers, like, y'all, if this didn't happen, this whole thing's a hoax. 
Okay, what, what am I trying to point out to you? All I'm trying to point out to you is Christianity itself is based on a claim that we cannot explain or understand fully. Especially with all of our science, right? We can't, dude. Dude, the whole ship is built on the foundation of a supernatural occurrence. Like, I love the idea that I can be a cool, hip, trendy Christian, but do you know the things that we say we believe? A virgin had a baby? And, a ba- and that baby said he was a son of God, right? And then he's like, gets killed by the Romans, and then they say he rose again from the dead, and then gives the gift. Like, dude, I just don't know if it's going to be compatible. I don't, I don't know if I can still maintain that I'm a cool, hip person, Christian, and everyone accept me and thinks I'm cool when I'm driving on this stuff, all right? I'm not, okay, anyway, let's, that's not in my notes. Let's just keep going. Now, the resurrection is a claim rooted in history. Dude, context, historical weight and validity, but it's supernatural nonetheless. It's a supernatural claim. Did you know Thomas Jefferson saw the thing through and he made a New Testament which excluded all of the mentions of supernatural? Like, bro just got out some scissors and took all the miracles of Jesus out, took all of the ideas about the resurrection, all the claims that Jesus was divine, which like, that's like half of the book of John. I don't know, John had to be like two chapters. I don't know how he did that, right? He saw it to the end. Do you know what he was a product of? Enlightenment, yeah, 18, yeah, that's right, post-enlightenment thing. It's very interesting, isn't it? So during this whole scene, I've tried to, during this whole deal, I've been trying to help you wrestle with the fact that you and me have a pair of glasses on that you cannot help, and it has created in you a deep skepticism when it comes to the supernatural, and it's unavoidable. And for the most part, all of us are going to struggle with the more supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what on earth does that mean? And how on earth does it play itself out? Solely because it stretches your modern understanding of reality, which is that all reality, all phenomenon are scientifically explainable. So people used to explain unexplainable things with nonsense, right? How's the sun go across the sky? Well, a chariot pulls it and the earth is flat and they were wrong, right? And so therefore any supernatural explanation of what we see feels antiquated and unsophisticated and medieval and primitive and it's insufficient, it's clearly wrong and all that stuff's just science we don't understand yet. In the modern mind, everything, including God, has to play by the rules of science. But you see, if Christianity is true, if God made all those rules by the breath of his mouth, of course he's not subject to the rules he created, unless he chooses to be. And so in modern Christianity, there is a rift in in me and you, right? Me and you, in our heads. There is a rift, and for some of us, it is an impassable schism between the God of the Bible and our real life because of the supernatural elements we see in the Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is an, in some of our minds right now, there is an impassable divide between what we read in here and what we experience in here for us because of the supernatural nature of this book. Guys, we, you, have, you need to struggle through this with me. <laughs> I don't know if you are, but I am. Huh? Right? So before we get deep into the journey, I just want to say, if we're going to subtract out all of the supernatural elements of the Bible, um, you may be running the risk of attempting to domesticate God himself. Do you want the Lion of Judah 
ripping demonic power and darkness and lies and sin out of your life? Or do you just want a domesticated house cat? What do you want? You want to have access to the only divine power that can do anything in your life? Well, you're going to understand that's a power that you cannot explain nor control. There's a lion of Judas, not a domesticated house cat. And if you want to invite him into your house, he's going to rearrange some things. And is he safe? No, he ain't safe. You kidding me? But he's good. Hmm? You guys know that one, right? So, the second observation, that was one observation, um, from these lists. God gives us a litmus test of sorts when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, when it comes to seeing the gifts of the Spirit, or actually what the text says is the manifestations of the Spirit. Did you read it? Hope you have your brains on today. Um, in this litmus test this of the manifestation of the Spirit, okay, is repeated often in the, in the things we just read. And it says that they are for the common good. Do you know what that's doing for us? It's clarifying the goal. It's setting before us the finish line. It's saying this is the ends of what we're shooting for. And what was it? it? It was the common good. It was the building up of the church, not tear it down. It was the church so that me and you can be equipped for the ministry of Jesus, so that his body, me and you, can function as he did in the earth. The gifts are given for a purpose. Now, this is extremely helpful for us when it comes to discerning in this area. It's when people are undiscerning in this area. It's when people play fast and loose with this stuff that prophecy and words of knowledge, that the name of the Holy Spirit is soiled. And right now may be soiled in your mind because you've experienced people playing fast and loose with the gifts of the Spirit. For example, now I've told this before, but I'm telling it again because it fits perfectly. Uh, one time a girl told me, God told her we were going to get married. And that girl's not my wife. Okay? So, all right, what was that? <laughs> okay. Well, that was some personal desire mixing with a cavalier attitude towards the gifts of the Spirit. And guess what that rep- recipe creates? Yeah, dude. Like, skepticism dismissive attitudes towards the Holy Spirit, right? Personal desire, personal goal. This is what I want, mixed with a cavalier attitude with the gifts of the Spirit, you know, a fast and loose. What does it produce? Skepticism. People check out. It produces a dismissive attitude towards the Holy Spirit and everyone who sees it goes down. All right, we're chatting. The Bible says, dude, the gifts are not for securing your desires, friends. They are not for making you look good. And they most certainly are not so that you can manipulate others to get what you want. In fact, I would think the Bible would say repent. The, the, the gifts are for building up the church for the common good. See, part of our aversion to the gifts is when people try to leverage them to assert unhealthy authority over others, right? It's why we've said the Holy Spirit is not the force from the Star Wars movies, guys. It's not that. It's not spiritual power for spiritual power's sake. It's not to validate your own authority or for you to get your own way. In fact, it's not about you at all. The whole point is it's a gift that's reflecting someone else. The who? The manifestation of who? His spirit, right? And they came with instructions. 
right? These talents, these skills, these gifts are not about you. They're to build up others, right? God says, here's a tool. Here's the goal. Now, the problem is, if we get the goal wrong, right, well, then obviously you're going to use the tool wrong. If we're mistaken on the destination, the tool's going to, we're just, well, I guess we use it this way. Well, no, you got it wrong. So the first question you have to ask, if the goal of the gifts of the Spirit are to build up my brother, to encourage him, right, is it even on your agenda today or any day to build someone else up? Does, does that come in your thoughts at all when you go to work or when you're driving or when you're dealing with the grocery store attendant or if you're ordering your food? Does it at all come in your thoughts? You know, my role as a Christian is to get under this person and make them feel secure, make them feel loved, make them feel built up. Because if that's not on your agenda, I'm not sure if the gifts are for you. Because you're not even functioning in, in how the goal of the gifts. The goal of the gifts are to build people up. To build others up, to get under them and serve them. Do you ever ask yourself, how can I make this person feel good? <laughs> I mean, is that even, I mean, is that on the, I, I'll be honest. It, maybe at church, because we're like, we put our Christian, you know, and I'm here to make, you know, right? <laughs> Do you, does it ever cross your mind that I'm going to try right now to leverage my intelligence, my abilities, my giftings, I'm going to leverage it, and I'm going to put you on that side. And I'm going to go, so that they go up. Guess what happens when they go up? Guess where I go? I go down. Is that, are we into that? (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to lower myself, and I'm going to exert all my, in, all my energy. Oh, just look out. See that? And my spit. Man, to push this brother up. That sounds like Jesus, y'all. That sounds like the ministry of Jesus right there. I've just become a servant. I've just lowered myself so that someone else can be pushed up, right? Because if you're not willing to do that, this whole conversation's moot because <laughs> you've missed the point. And if we ever find ourselves needing to discern the use of spiritual gifts, we have a wonderful question we can ask. Were other people built up and encouraged and edified and empowered now to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today? We can ask questions like, did I and others walk away more able to love our spouse? Did I and others walk away more willing to love my kids, to love my, did I walk away feeling empowered, built up? Did they walk away feeling encouraged to obey the Lord more, walk in faithfulness more, right? Because we know we judge tree by its fruit, right? So we can look for the fruit and ask, is this person, or maybe more important, am I using the gifts God has given me for his purposes or for mine, Right? A huge part of having this, this, working out the spiritual gifts, is having other people around you that will help you discern. In fact, the New Testament, what we see is essential to discerning and verifying the spiritual gifts is the community of faith around us. But according to the Bible, your skills and talents, contrary to how we often almost always think about them, are not about you. Your skills and your talents are not about you. Dude, even your more natural gifts, 
Even in the business world, when we see someone who's extremely naturally gifted and making it all about them in business and commerce, it's repulsive. We find it selfish. People don't like it, right? So whether it's natural or supernatural skill, nobody likes the guy who thinks his talent is all about him and makes him better than everyone else. Nobody does. Okay, well, if that's the case, let's just ask a question. Why don't we like that? What are we repulsed by? If we are, as modern people say, self-made, right? If we define ourselves and make ourselves through blood, sweat, and tears, and we make ourselves whatever we want, if that's true, why on earth do we have an aversion to someone who's proud of what they've made? If they've made it, they have every right to be proud of it, if we make ourselves, right? They'd have every right to boast, right? But intuitively, right, most people know that's not true. Because while certain people, people can and will work really hard and refine their gifts, right, we know that our dispositions and raw materials that we have are in fact gift, right? This is how we talk about super talented people, don't we? Christian or not, we say, oh, they're so gifted, right? Now, what people will disagree on is whether good looks or athletic ability or mathematical mind was given to you by DNA or, you know, whatever, or whether all that was given to you by God. But most people understand dispositions and skills and abilities that we ourselves have. We often had nothing to do with how we got them. We were just born that way. We don't know why we can kill it at Tetris, right? We, I don't know. I don't know why I'm a, like a, just a, you know, Forrest Gump, that ping pong, man. Just, we don't know. You just, you know, man, I mean, you're not a dummy, so you refine and work on those skills. But, dude, that raw material, that stuff was given to you, bro. That was given to you. As a Christian, if the whole story is true, if God created us then himself, died in our place and make us his kids. Like, now, think about this. Think about this. Let's step back for a second. If the whole story is true, if God made us, died for us, put, okay, shouldn't we be the one giving gifts to God? Was it, this, shouldn't that be the way it works, right? Like we should be the one giving everything to God, holding nothing back. But here is this whole list, not of gifts you ought to give to God, but gifts he gives to you. <sighs> Don't miss the forest for the trees, y'all. What makes a gift a gift? Well, it's something given by the goodwill of the giver, and it's free. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been struck by this, but personally, after all I have done in my life, after all of my apathy and disregard of God and sin and rebellion against him ongoing all the time, all of my ignoring him and disobeying him and what turn and I mean, I don't, maybe you don't, I feel like I have a lot of those things. Okay. I have these moments in my life where I, I'm, I come to my senses and I'm like just profoundly humbled and I, I realize I'm a fool and I, I'm just broken before God. I had one of these moments recently, man, just got on my knees before God. And when I, in that moment of just, just humility and brokenness and I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, God, you know what I found myself doing? It's so strange. I guess because I grew up in church. I found myself opening my hands to God. Do you know what that's the position of? That's what needy people do when they want something. But it's not just need. You open your hands because you think you're going to get something. And I'm sitting here on the ground, and I'm struck, just deeply struck, not by the fact I'm opening my hands, but by the fact of the generous goodness of God, that in a moment of absolute depravity and sin, he meets me. And what I feel is him giving me goodness. Dude, this, if we ever get over this, we've gotten over the gospel. 
Like at the root of the gospel is I deserve wrath and have been given. Whether you want to reckon with it or not, we're dealing with a God who gives. He gives creation. He gives existence. He gives his son and he gives the spirit. And if we lose, if we lose touch with this, then when we are given things, we begin to think, well, they must all be about me. And I just, I should have all the freedom I want to make my gifts about me and to build my name, right? When we lose touch with the reality that he has given us. It would be like this, right? Uh, it would be like a painting boasting and getting all puffied up because the painter made strokes really pretty on that painting. Can you imagine a painting strutting a stone, right? Bro, a canvas, man. Like someone else made that beautiful, like, do you get to enjoy it? Oh, you certainly do, but you're not the source of that. You didn't make that beauty, right? If, if we are dealing, y'all, with who God says he is, which is an inexhaustible, unsearchable reservoir of love and mercy, right? We would be fools to think in our experience we'd ever reach the limitations of that, right? I mean, isn't the argument against what we're talking about is, hey, listen, man, like objections are stuff like, hey, listen, God gave us everything in Jesus, right? He emptied the treasure chest of heaven in Christ. How can he give us more? Dude, never a truer statement been said. <laughs> Amen, right? But if he is an inexhaustible wealth of mercy and love, like we're never gonna find the limits of that goodness, right? In fact, Romans 8.32 says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously Give us all things. This is who we're dealing with, guys. We're dealing with a God who gives, man. And it's just arrogance that makes us forget that every good thing we have and enjoy, every talent and skill has been given to you by God, right? Okay, me and you have things that we are good at that there is just no realistic way we can take credit for, right? Now, because you're not an idiot, you develop those gifts, but they're gifts nonetheless. That's the biblical paradigm, which means you've been wired in a, u a unique way. You, you, you have been wired in a unique way in order that you can extend God's goodness to others. And in that moment, you are, at the same time, expressing an individual component of who you are and the manifestation of his spirit. What an unbelievable commingling. God wants you, through the gifts he's given you, to express your unique, creative, weirdo self and at the same time be a manifestation of his spirit. Guys, beautiful. It's beautiful. We're invited into this, like Lewis, you know, they call it a dance, right? Where we are expressing what God has given to us. We're creating, we're engaging, we're doing all the things we do in life and work, and at the same time being invited to be a, a, an avenue by which God manifests, not our goodness, not our, but his goodness, his creativity to others, which means, let's go. Some of y'all can cook, praise his name, Mm, some of y'all can cook, all right? Some of y'all, you just can't help yourself. You're gonna invite people to everything. You can't help it. You're gonna invite people to everything. You're gonna invite people to movies. You're gonna tell every person you see about the restaurant you ate at this weekend. Every person you see. Do you hear this restaurant? It's so good. Dude, you're an evangelist, bro. That's a spiritual gift. You're just using it for the restaurant you went to, the movie you saw, or, or Top Gun, oh, it's an amazing movie, whatever, 
I'm going to talk about something. <laughs> Everyone's talking about time. I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's amazing, right? right? Some of you, my dad, he was just he was going on and on about it. Some of you, um, you just have an encouraging spirit about you. Like, I want to be around you. Like, when I leave from hanging out with you, I'm like, man, it's so, so good, man. It's nice, right? Dude, some of you have wisdom. You just got wisdom. Like, I want her in the room when we're making decisions. Sister got wisdom. Like, she just... I just want her around. Like, I want to talk to you about this decision because I think God's gifted you the wisdom, right? Okay, if we're ever going to be the church, it means you got to learn how to use those things, not for your own sake, but for the sake of others. If we are ever going to be the church that we think, that we know we ought to be, it's only when the body becomes start to be the body, right? And we start using and functioning in those ways that we've been gifted and uniquely uh, wired to uh, function in, not for your sake, but for the sake of someone else, to build someone else up. The question then must be, dude, are you doing it? How are you leveraging the gifts you have been given for the glory of God? Are you meeting the needs of those around you? Listen to me, listen to me. Are you meeting the needs of those around you? It's really quite simple, guys. We don't need to over-spiritualize this. You give a brother a cup of water in the name of Jesus. You meet the needs of those around you. How else are they gonna know we're disciples? By our love for one another. How are you leveraging your skills and talents? Or are you being selfish with them? Are you hoarding them to yourself and insisting that they're really about your glory and your name and your authority and your power, right? So that, the list that I just gave, mostly the wisdom and the cooking, those are like the more natural ones, aren't they? All right, so let's just real quick, here we go. Soup, the, what about the weird ones? What about the weird ones? Isn't that all we're here for? Let's talk about the weird ones, right? Well, let me just, I can only tell you what I've seen, okay, of how it's played out in my walk with God. I've had friends that when they pray for people, stuff just happens. I don't know what else to say. Like, I just, go get, go get so-and-so because this chick is sick. Like, she's sick. Sick. I ain't gonna even touch her. But go get so-and-so because, dude, he, I, last time he prayed for that one person, like, something happened. I, do I understand that? no. Like, I, bro just got, I don't know. I don't understand it, but I want him with me praying, right? Like, some of you, here's something else, okay? So that, that's just weird, okay? Some of you, when you are attentive to God, you get words. They just pop in your head. You get phrases. Some of you get, it when you, some of you, you've experienced this. You don't have to fess up, but you've been praying in like a picture, a, a, a metaphor just pops in your head. You're praying for so-and-so. And man, just saw a river. Just saw a big river. Interesting. S- some of you, like, or, or, or let's say this. Let's say you're, you know, you're praying. Oh, let's give it a scenario. You're praying. If you do that. Praying for this person. If you do that, right? Some of us are like, God, I need you. We don't pray for other people, right? Praying for this person. You start, you start praying, and all of a sudden, your prayers get real specific, and all of a sudden, here you are praying for so-and-so because you're just like, I'm just going to try to pray, be spiritual today, whatever. I'm going to pray for Bob. Love Bob. Good old Bob. Praying for Bob. And all of a sudden, I'm praying for Bob's finances. I don't know why. I just, whoop, finances. Zoop, zoomed into it. And I'm praying for Bob and his finances. And this number pops in my head. Whoa, that's a big number. <laughs> what do you do with that? <laughs> do you risk and take any action? What, dude, what? If God is talking to you, 
What if God is saying, I want you to give Bob X number of dollars? God, that was a big number. You sure? That was kind of strange, right? Bob's not going to be upset, right? <laughs> Bob's not going to be like, well, I think you missed God on this one. Like, he ain't going to care. He can be like, you need to pray more, son, right? Right? See, it seems to me that most Christians just don't see themselves as the possible means by which God wants to engage the world. We're we're too unqualified. And a lot of us, I mean, we feel that way, right? We're all tied up in our own distracted hearts, our own desires, our our own goals, right? But listen, unless you're willing to put yourself in the position of building others up, right, being attentive to God, asking for insights, you may be missing out on being the hands and feet of Jesus to those around you in a very supernatural way. Maybe if you ask God to heal someone, nothing will happen. But I'll tell you, nothing will certainly happen if you're not asking God to heal them. In the Bible, we see a suspicious continuity between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his followers after him in the book of Acts. Do you hear me? A suspicious continuity. Why do you think they called the disciples Christians in the first place in Antioch? You know why? They were mocking them. They said, you guys look like little Jesuses, Christians. Why would they do that? Well, apparently, there was something about the way the disciples were going about living their Christian life that so reminded everyone about Jesus, they started calling them little Christs, Christians, right? If you read the Gospels, Jesus is functioning in supernatural power. How does that look? How's it look? Use your brains. Don't leave me. Don't stay, stay, stay with me. Stay with me. How's it look, right? Well, he's walking around, and what does he do? He meets the needs of those around him in practical and supernatural ways, right? In rational ways that we can understand, and in meta-rational ways that we can't understand. He's ministering naturally and supernaturally with God's wisdom and power, and all of that stuff in Jesus's ministry is colliding with what? Human depravity and darkness and human need. And what happens? Darkness runs, dude. And salvation springs up from the ground, right? And then Jesus said stuff like, okay, you're going to do this. You guys will do this kind of stuff, right? Greater things than these, right? (laughs) Then you read the book of Acts, and what's happening? His disciples are doing the same thing he was doing. Get up in the name of Jesus. And the dude stands up, right? Right? And now, immediately, for all sorts of reasons, we have objections and problems with this idea that so a child can understand. If you're going to follow someone, you, you got to follow them. <laughs> if I ask my eight-year-old, how do you play follow the leader? Well, they'd say, well, I would watch you, and then as you do things, I would, I would just do what you do, right? That's called follow the leader, right? How, how do we intend to follow Jesus, and what do you think it actually looks like? Because you have a cultural understanding of what it means to be a Christian. The question is, does it match up with this? Hmm? I mean, what if we've just played a long game of telephone throughout the centuries? And while we have this amazing document that has not changed, has not changed, same words, right? Original language, still have. Amazing document, thousands and thousands of years old, anchoring us to what we are called to. What if we've just said, well, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. And then the next guy, well, what do you think about it? Well, you're probably right. Well, that's unreasonable. Yeah, okay, next guy. Yeah, I mean, that one's, I don't understand why they did that either. Yeah, let's just do it this way. The next guy, and on and on and on. And then we're like way down there. Is this making anyone else uncomfortable? (laughs) 
because I'm uncomfortable. And that was not in my notes. We have all sorts of objections to this, don't we? We feel unqualified. Of course, there's all of the cultural baggage with believing that supernatural things can happen, right? Um, and, and does God even do that, Chris? Like, come on, Chris, does God even do that? Seriously, still, does he do that? Well, let me just ask you a question. What biblical basis do you have for thinking that God no longer acts like he did in the Bible? You do not. I defy you to find a biblical basis for argument saying that God no longer acts the way that he did in biblical times. Now, you'll find plenty of Christians they will say that, probably some of you in this room, but you, you've not come to that conclusion off of a biblical basis. That, that's been handed to you by other Christians, right? If you want to be a person of the book, it means you and I are taken from the domain of darkness by the sacrifice of Jesus, and now God intends to use us to extend his power and life to others. Okay, but we have all sorts of objections. Let's just talk about some of the objections real quick, and then we'll get out of here. I know I went long today, but we had a lot of stuff to get through. What are our objections to ideas about prophecy and words of knowledge? Well, dude, Chris, what's going to stop so-and-so from saying, well, God told me so, as the indisputable trump card in all arguments, right? Hey, you need to do the dishes. Well, God told me I didn't have to, you know? <laughs> hey, I think you're wrong here. Well, God told me I'm right, right? <laughs> well, well, the pattern we see in the New Testament is mutual submission in the community when it comes to discerning the voice and leadership of the Holy Spirit. We see it all through Acts. They gather, they talk, sometimes they argue, and then they come to a consensus, and they say things like this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater requirement on you, right? In Acts 13, it says this. While they're worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, how'd that work? How'd they figure that out? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, laid their hands on them, sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Who just sent them out? Well, they did. They laid their hands on them. No, no, no. Uh-uh. That's not what they said. They said the Holy Spirit did that. How'd that work? How'd that practically work itself out? It worked itself out in the way in which they, they were able to give credit to where credit was due. That's how it worked itself out. They said, this, the Holy Spirit's done this. We didn't do this, right? Which means if we're willing to start being attentive to God and take risk and pray prayers like we see in the Bible, we can do it knowing we have people around us who can say things like, yeah, I think that's from God, bro. Or people around us that can say things like, nah, I'm not too sure. That's the look. So here's the litmus test. Does it build up people? Are people encouraged? And secondly, we have a safety net of mutual submission. So when someone feels an impulse of, I think God may be leading me here, they can go to their brother and sister they love and trust and say, man, I don't know if this is God or not. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's, but I feel like I should get divorced and sell all my stuff and go on tour with my high school band. I think God's telling me to do that. They can bring that to someone who loves them. And the person who loves them can say, what are you talking about? Not from God. No, they would say, oh, right. okay, well, I love you. I hear you. I know, stress, I know there's a lot of stress going on in your life. Let's bring some other people in on this conversation and let's try to discern the word of the Lord for you right now, right? But already we've missed the mark because who is that building up? Who is that edifying? Who is that moving in love towards? No one, right? So on the one hand, it requires a humility in you being open to the possibility that, man, you just may be stressed out and had too much caffeine, bro, right? Like, let's, let's huh? if we lose that humility... We're going to go really wrong in this area, okay? And on the other hand, it looks like being willing to take risk in obedience to love others and build them up, knowing, right, God wants to use you supernaturally in people's lives. So I'm just going to end with telling two stories. Are we cool? Can you hang for two more? Is that okay? Two stories? 
No, okay, I got, I, got a, I got a clear no on that. I saw it in your eyes, it's too late. Oh, I have the mic, so here we go. Um, one's from a trusted source and one's from my own life. Uh, John Wimber tells a story. Uh, and I'm trying to help you see how it can work itself out in real life, okay? John Wimber told a story about being on an airplane. And he, he sees a few guys who's the founder of the vineyard. We're, we're a vineyard church. Sees a, few, uh, a guy sitting a few rows over. And, and he says, John's like looking at him. He's tired, been on this conference, right? He's looking at him. And on the side of the dude's head, he could have sworn he saw the word adultery. So he's like, looking at him. And the guy realizes, he's looking at him. What are you looking at? You know, kind of frustrated with him. And, and, and as the guy looked at him, this name popped in John's head. And he, what are you looking at? Well, I mean, uh, you, you, I'm so sorry. Uh, but can I ask you a question? Does the name mean anything to you? And the guy turns white. And he says, come with me. So it's this big jumbo jet, right? So guy gets on the, getting on the go, they go up the spiral staircase, right? They go up to the lounge, right? Guy says, who told you that name? And John says, well, I, 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 God, God told, God told you. So he yelled it, right? All the, you know, all the people in the lounge, you know, right? Well, it turns out the name that popped in his head was the name of the woman that that man was having an affair with. And John says, bud, you, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta repent, man. Like you, you can't. And and he was expecting this dude just to, who do you think you are, right? And and when he said, he said the guy just starts melting, just breaks out weeping, and the guy literally says, what must I do? <laughs> and so, so John, so John uh, starts leading him in the prayer. He says, well, let's just let's just ask God to forgive us, man. So he said, oh God, oh God. And he says, got two words into it. And the dude just took off. Said the most just heart-wrenching prayer of weeping. I first said, give me for this and forgive me for this. And he says, everyone can hear it in the lounge, right? And upstairs. So this, the attendants are weeping. John's weeping. The guy's weeping, right? Asking forgiveness for all this. And he's just spilling all the beans. And everyone's, you know. And once the guy gets done, got tears streaming down his face. He says, listen, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, uh, the, the reason I was upset is because my wife was sitting next to me. And John says, you got to go tell her, man. Now? Y- yeah, probably. <laughs> so they, they go downstairs and he says they're sitting far away enough to where he can't hear it, but he sees the, you know, the wife and just look, wife's looking at John, looking at her husband, looking at John. He's weeping. I mean, just her life is wrecked, you know. I mean, it took years probably to, to mend that. Long story short, both the husband and the wife come to know Christ in that moment. They become Christians. John gives them his, he had a Bible. He said, here, take this. Get off the plane. Salvation happened. <sighs> okay, that's a weird story. But it holds up, doesn't it? Because what happened, let's look at the biblical grid we've been looking at. When, when the Holy Spirit does stuff, either people get saved or God's people get brave. Someone got saved. It held up, didn't it? Now, is it super weird? Yeah, man. And if you're like, no, I hear you. Let's just, okay. Well, okay, Chris, where's that in the Bible? Right? Seeing words on people's heads and stuff like that. Where's that in the Bible? Oh, man. Uh, where do I start? Um, so... John 4, Jesus uh, just supernaturally reveals, yeah, actually, you've been married to five guys, and you're the one you're with now is not your husband. And guess what happens? She gets saved. 
uh, acts, uh, prison, uh, chains drop supernaturally. Chains drop off of the prisoners. I forget who it was, Peter and Barnabas, maybe. I don't know, Paul and who? I forget. I didn't look it up. Chains fall. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas, maybe. Chains, supernaturally. Boom, supernatural moment. God intervenes. Guard's about to kill, his, kill himself. Whoa, 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 don't do it. Guess what happens? Guard and his whole family get saved. Supernatural moment, unexplainable moment, salvation. Uh, Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. We read that before. What? <laughs> you gonna explain that? <laughs> Lucy, gonna explain that, right? Tabitha. Back from the dead. Guess what happens after Tabitha is risen from the dead? Supernatural moment. Like all Joppa gets saved. So what's the method of evangelism that you have in your head? Because I can guarantee the story I just told you from John is a lot more biblical than the one that you probably have in your head. In fact, it matches the pattern of biblical evangelism a lot more than a lot of our methods of evangelism today. That's weird. All right, last story. Here we go. Sorry, I went so long today. Some of you know this. This is my own experience. Okay, that's John. This is my own experience. I'll, I'll say it, then we'll get out of here. I want to tell you how I ended up at this church. Please, so thank you for your charity and hanging out with me right now. Um, how I ended up back at this church. I grew up in this church. I got married and moved away. Uh, ended up at a, a church uh, on staff leading worship in Atlanta. Um, I lost my singing voice after about three years of being on staff. Very strange with the doc. Uh, totally unhelpful, stuck a thing down my throat, said, yeah, it looks agitated, stop singing, give me 400 bucks, um, and, and ended up totally losing my voice. Um, so here I was, a worship leader who could barely sing, I was frustrated to say the least, right, and I had raised my hand to say, hey, you know, I like to teach, I like to teach the Bible, could I do that here? And they were just like, no. Um, so I go on this retreat for um, uh, our bishop, it's my boss's boss, okay, it's a bishop, these are Anglicans, it's an Anglican church, okay, these are like Presbyterians and Anglicans, all right, <laughs> You guys got experience? All right. Um, uh, they're not like crazy, matic, Holy Spirit type people, all right? They don't drop like, God told me so. You don't hear that, okay? So I go with my boss's boss to Montana. They're like billionaires, like 12 people in Montana, okay? And they're like, hey, y'all come lead worship for us. And so I had to have Allison come with me because I can barely sing. And so all of this time leading up to this retreat, I'm building frustration. I'm like, man, I, I, what am I going to do here? I mean, I can't sing anymore. I'm at this job. I love my job, but like, it's not working out, and I'm getting frustrated. And so we, throughout that summer leading up to that retreat, me and Allison just had this sense of like, man, listen, all right, we're going to go on this retreat in Montana. Maybe God's going to talk to us. Hopefully, he'll just strike us with light and tell us something crazy. And if not, probably not, because does he even do that anymore? You know, I don't know. Was I in a place in my life where I actually believed he did that kind of stuff? No, not really. So, but maybe he'll do something. And, and if he doesn't do anything, you know what? We're just going to, we're probably going to sell our house. We li lived in Lawrence. We're probably going to sell our house, move down to the city, just ante up in this church. It's a great church, great community. We love this place. So, you know, we'll probably just do that. So we, we go on the street and I'm, I'm literally, the, leading up to it, I'm like, Allison, you praying? You better ask God. We need direction, man. Like I can't handle, like I'm frustrated, right? Comes with me. Um, well, we, it's like third, fourth night in, okay? Uh, they're super lovely people. Uh, we uh, are, we kind of did our songs and stuff like that. It was lame, you know? Um, and, and then afterward, uh, the bishop is like, hey, let's pray for Chris and Allie. Unprompted. Of course, I'm not going to be like, hey, you know, I actually think about leaving your church, you know, while we're here. Uh, so no, not going to process that with the bishop. So, so he says, hey, let's pray for Chris and Allie. Comes over, lays his hands on me. And the first thing TJ, Bishop TJ says, he says, Chris, I feel like God's about to lead you through a serious life transition. So my wife laughs out loud <laughs> at, at the bishop, okay? You ever met a bishop? Right? 
So my radar is like, you know, like, what? What are you doing? It's crazy. So God, maybe you have my, so I'm literally, I'm saying, I said, God, okay, you have my attention. All right, so like, do you want to say something, right? Um, so these Presbyterians and Anglicans start praying for me. Uh, one of them said, the guy who owned 2,000 acres, like, like just a man's man, right? Owned 2,000 acres. Like hadn't heard him talk all weekend. <laughs> he, said, he said, Chris, this is weird. He said, I see a big pair of scissors. And I was like, yeah, that's weird, you know? <laughs> and he says, I think there's about to be a cutting away in your life. And <laughs> just lost it, you know? Because <laughs> that was the question. That was the question. Like, do I pull away God or do I go down towards, right? So I'm weeping, right? Someone says, Chris, I think you have gifts you're not using. <laughs> Every time, man, <laughs> that you're about to get into an arena where you can use them. So I'm just <laughs> weeping, right? So after the, <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, after, you know, I pick myself off the ground, basically, they're like, okay, something's weird, you know. So I, I, I was, like, incapacitated. The, the next night, they're like, why don't you tell us tomorrow, like, what's happening? So the next night, we gather, and I basically just explain to them, guys, listen, man, I've been, like, at my wit's end, and I've been asking God to help me like lead in, in previous this summer, like we hung out with my parents and my wife was like, oh, I wish we could go help the church. I'm like, well, we can't go help the church because I'm out of church now. And we've just been praying like, man, how is this going to work itself out? And the way I described it to him then, it was like, I feel like God's calling me to take this really big leap. And, and only now do I sense the boldness to do it. So either God, you know, either people get saved or God's people get brave. That's it, man. Like, I had such a sense of boldness. And, and like, dude, we're about to risk. Like, this church can pay me? Like, barely anything. That's when I, I had to start a company to make money. Did I know that company was going to make money? I had no clue it was going to make money. Like, when I, look, when I look back at it now, I was like, what was I thinking? You're an idiot, dude. You got a kid. You got a kid on the way, and you're going to take this risk, right? So, man, make of it what you will, guys. Make of it what you will. I believe God was talking to me supernaturally to lead and guide me through his gifts given to his people. If you're not willing to step into that arena and take risks and with humility and submission submit, hey, God may be saying this now. What do you think, brother? If you're not willing to say, man, listen, I just got this weird picture. I don't know if it's from God. Maybe I had too much pizza last night, but does this, does this land on you? No, no, that doesn't land on me. But then, and sometimes we don't even know, guys. Sometimes we can obey, walk out in obedience and risk, and we don't find out the fruit until years later. The point is, are you willing to be obedient to God in areas that may make you feel a bit foolish, that may cause you to, to take risks and step out in boldness in ways that you're not really qualified or prepared to do, quite honestly, right? Well, that's the whole point. He's qualifying you because he's giving you gifts, supernaturally, divine gifts, of the Holy Spirit, so that you can be extensions of his kingdom and make God's people brave and bring salvation to the lost. Let's stand and pray.